Welcome to Crime Crazy, the weekly true crime podcast with Aaron Plime and Diana Seacom, where we prove that we know nothing about our legal system, but we are still crazy for a good true crime story in Chicago. Woo! Happy 100th episode! Happy 100th episode! I can't believe we're at 100 episodes. That is crazy. Crime crazy? <laughs> it is crime crazy. <laughs> and you have been on every single one except one. I have. Yeah? Yeah, I've been on 99 of the 100. Awesome. I have no idea how many I've been on. Uh, someday we should count. We should, but today is not that day. Oh, God, no, that's way too much work. <laughs> so, Diana, since this will come out safely after we are home, um, do you want to tell everyone where we are and what's going on? And Oh, my God. We are in Chicago. We came for the Chicago Podcast Festival. and the True Crime podcast festival. Oh, God. What did I say? Chicago. Oh, yeah. That's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So we came to town for the Chicago... Well, that was a part of the name. But the True Crime Podcast Festival held in Chicago, the very first one. And we got a hotel room in the Chicago Athletic Association Hotel. Yeah. And it is... Epic. It's amazing, amazing. here. <laughs> the, every room of this building is gorgeous. The rooms themselves. So I think there are some different, like when I was looking at the pictures online, it looks like different rooms might have had different, mm-hmm. um, what are those benches called at the foot of your bed? Uh, aren't they the horse? Well, no, these are. These are horses. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. I just always call them the bench at the foot of your bed. So the bench at the foot of your bed, I think there are different ones for different rooms. But we have like the... The vault, yeah, vault or horse or whatever. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really cool. Really cool, old timey athletic accessories. I noticed yes. today we've been here two days, and I noticed that the bedside table, the bottom of the legs is wrapped like it's a tennis racket. Yep. Every detail is amazing. It is. Everybody and is so nice. Yes. The food is good. The food is so good. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but it's good. You don't eat for cheap here, except there's uh, a Shake Shack on the ground floor. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shake Shack. All right. So, 100th episode. 100th episode. We're celebrating. We are. Because we also hit 100,000 downloads. Oh, my God. This past week. I'm pretty sure some of them aren't me. I I would imagine. I mean, like I would. They're they're pretty good at catching like downloading on multiple devices with the same account, like that kind of thing. Oh, I have a bunch of different podcatchers. Gotcha. For different purposes, so I subscribe to us. I think in all. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we hit nine thousand unique downloads this week, <laughs> and I got uh, so, 100th episode, 100,000 downloads, first ever podcast festival. Yeah. First ever true crime podcast festival. Yeah. Like, that that's its name. First time um, we've traveled together. First time we've traveled together. Yeah. Uh, first time I've been outside of the Chicago airport. Excellent. Um, and... I am fairly certain we defied the laws of fidget, fidget, physics. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> physics uh, at least fifty times when we are driving, not driving, uh, riding in a lift. 
Um, and so, you know, first time I've ever defied the laws of Fredericks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Traffic is not fun here. No, it's scary. Yeah. It's crazy scary. Oh, you should see Toronto. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which no I will be heading to the day that's dropped. Yeah. Okay, so, Diana. Erin. You, you have to ask me a question now. Oh, I thought I was going to tell you that Crime Crazy is sponsored by Dave Hat. Woohoo! And Courtney Ellis. Woohoo! I was trying to do that in alphabetical order, and I really fucked it up. That's yeah. Okay. Uh, sponsors. Support Crime Crazy. I was looking at my notes. <laughs> Through Patreon at the $10 per month level or above. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron. Yes. Do you know what today is? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I think it's Sunday. <laughs> um, yes, and? <laughs> you just yes anded me I on the totally podcast. I yes anded you. Oh, okay, yes and? What it else is, is it? It's the first time we're recording this month. <gasps> Ooh, Even awesome. it is the 14th, which seems ridiculous, but it's true. So I have to tell you. Yes. About all of our Patreon supporters. I'm excited. Yes. So, first up, Rebecca Manners. Woohoo! Hey, welcome back, Rebecca. Thank you. Pegpool. Hey, Mom. Patty Smell. Hey, Patty. Jess Lee. Hi, Jess. Erin Klein. Woohoo! Eric Boscana. Woohoo! Hey, Di- Eric. Diana Seacon. <gasps> Yay! Courtney Ellis. Hi, Courtney. And Brian Williams. Yay! If you would like to support Crime Crazy on Patreon, that would be groovy. Yes. Simply go to patreon.com and search for Crime Crazy. We give monthly shoutouts for all of our patrons and other fun stuff. Yes. Um, and you know, there is now so much, well, there's not currently, but there was a few <laughs> days ago, there was so much crime crazy swag, um, and there will be again, so I feel like maybe there should be some more things going into the mail. I think there should be. Um, also, if you would like to get stickers from us, you can email us at diana at crimecrazy.com or erin at crimecrazy.com, that's E-R-Y-N. Um, and in fact, if you were listening to this before about July 21st, you should definitely email Erin about it, because I'm not going to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> what Diana means is, this is just the pre-vacation to her next vacation, which yes. is the pre-vacation to the vacation she's really, really <laughs> excited about. Uh, yeah. I'm sounding like a really fancy bitch here. You really are. <laughs> three vacations back to back in three different countries. Oh, it's true. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fancy. That's right. So, I also have, Erin. Uh-huh. Two. Two? Count them two. Two. One, two. Review shout-outs. <gasps> Woohoo, guys! Thank, Thank you. you. We have a review from Colin the Dog 31 from the UK. <laughs> a dog? Colin the dog. Colin the dog. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. Woof. Woof. <laughs> there we go. And we have a five-star... Uh, Colin the dog left us a five-star review. Thank you very much. And we have another five-star review from Muppet's Mom 
from the United States of America on July 4th. Hey, thanks. Also, that was a month ago, Diana. How did we miss that one? It just... Well, because we haven't recorded. It showed uh, up on the true. 5th, but we haven't recorded. That's true. <laughs> um, so thank you, Muppets Mom, on July 4th. America, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to remind everybody that you can follow Crime Crazy on all the social medias. And in fact, you should, because we posted a bunch of cool shit from Chicago, and there is more to come as it relates to this episode. Yes. Um, yeah, no, actually, I got a bunch more pictures to post. I'm pretty excited about Yay. it. Some of them I'm like, mm, got to get out of the city, and then we'll post. Wow, that made it sound really bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't want to give anything away. Right, right. Just didn't. It was It's secret keeping, not criminal activity. That's right. In fact, there was a, a much smaller amount of criminal activity this week than Aaron thought there was going to be. It's true. But we'll talk about it A hundred percent smaller. It did not end up on this week's episode as a story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only as a storyteller. So, yes, definitely do that. Go to crimecrazy.com. All of those things, all of our social media, all of the ways you can support us are all on that site. So, easy, easy to find. Um, also, super cute pictures of us. Also, more of those to come. Yes. We, we were really killing it from the super cute pictures angle this weekend. Uh, you know, either that or the having drinks at lunchtime angle, which would have helped. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I'm exhausted. We have to start talking. Okay. Erin? Yes. Did you learn anything this week? I did. Or in the last almost three weeks since we recorded? <laughs> I did, Diana. I did. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Okay. So, here's what I learned this week. I learned Catherine Kate O'Leary was born in 1827. She was an Irish immigrant living in Chicago, and she and her husband, Patrick O'Leary, which is just the most Irish the name, most <laughs> Irish name who, uh, they ran a well-known saloon and gambling hall <gasps> in Chicago. Oh, heavens. But that isn't why you know Catherine O'Leary's name. In October of 1871, Mrs. O'Leary went out to the barn to milk her cow, and the story goes that her cow kicked over an oil lamp, lighting the barn on fire, and the fire spread in the dry, windy conditions, even traveling across the polluted river that everyone had hoped would, like, put an end to it, Mm -hmm. and this became known as the Great Chicago Fire. Diana's, like, got this huge grin. (laughs) Okay. So, I told you there were some things in here I don't think you know. Okay. We're going to get there. Um, But because of the anti-Irish immigrant leanings of that time, the O'Leary's got more than their fair share of shaming. Um, Public retaliation. They were like, they had to leave the area. I mean, they had to leave the area anyway because everything they had burned down. But, like, it was just awful. Which, if the stories that people told had been true, then maybe would have been still over the top, but okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they weren't. So on his deathbed, Michael Aham, who was the reporter, admitted that he made up all the whole thing about the incident about the cow and mm-hmm. how the fire started, which before all was said and done, had progressed to Mrs. O'Leary's a drunk, she was out there, she lit the fire and put it next to the cat, like just awful things, right? And then, oh, well, I had the broken glass from the, you know, to prove that she was at fault, but some Irish guy came and stole it to hide the evidence, because, you know, so like just 
extreme racism. On behalf of my people, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all of that was, was exaggerated. Um, and she also had a lot of really bad press um, and some legal trouble because of it. And he made all of the part about the cow up. What actually happened, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. It could have been an accident. It could have been arson. could have been something somewhere in between. But as for Catherine O'Leary, she died of pneumonia in 1895. And according to her, from the fire on, she was never out of the public eye. And in her obituary, they wrote, she died heartbroken. Oh. Right? Her last descendant died in 1936. But about 60 years after that, a really interested amateur um, historian, Richard Bales, gathered enough information to prove that Kate O'Leary was innocent of all of all of that. That there was no way to prove that she had anything to do with the fire, was negligence or anything else. And so the Chicago City Council officially exonerated her in 1997. Oh, wow. Right? I mean... It sucks. That's 60 years after her last, like, living relative died. Right. But cool that in 1997 they were like, yeah, she's really suffered enough. Yeah. For not yeah. doing anything. So I'm assuming you looked that up because... Because we're in Chicago? Well, and because we saw the site. I think. We did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, we went on an architecture tour, a boat tour, and got to see all the things. And the guy was like, so you can't see it, but right over there is where. I can see the building. Yeah. But, yeah, right over there is where the Great Chicago Fire started. and it's where the cow kicked over the lamp, except that he didn't. Yeah. So. Awesome. Did you ever sing that song in school? No. Uh, what? There was a song. One dark night when we were all in bed. Old Mrs. Leary took the lantern to the shed, and when the cow kicked it over, she winked her eye and said, It'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. Oh my god! <laughs> you take that back about Kate Leary. According to her testimony, she was fast asleep when the no, fire started. That, that was a song we sang in school. It's terrible, Diana. It is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I feel like something happened. There was the fire, it burned down the whole city, and then, what, 22 years later, mm-hmm. they were rebuilt enough to host some, like, moderately popular event. Moderately popular event. And I feel like there was some crime involved. There was a lot of crime involved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chicago was not one of the safer places at the time anyway, but right. there was a lot of crime involved. There was a lot of crime around that time. Right, right. Is there, are there any in particular that you would like to ruin for us today? Well, Erin, I was born with the devil in me. <laughs> hmm. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer no more than the poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor behind the bed where I was ushered into the world and he has been with me since. Wow, Diana. I didn't know you had that in you. I don't. Those are the words of H.H. Holmes. 
formerly my favorite serial killer. Except he probably never wrote them. <laughs> so today, in a move that is probably going to end our friendship, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about H.A. Tones. And I don't know if this is the episode title, because Aaron's already named it, but if I got to name the episode this week, it would be in which we know that everything we know is wrong. <laughs> not the episode <laughs> title, because that is depressing. It is depressing. So, I think you should probably start, if I can make a recommendation, with what we know. So, what we know. Um, obviously, we're talking about H.H. Holmes. Also, I have to tie this together. Three weeks ago on Crime Crazy. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Go back in time. I'm ready. I talked about Anna Delby, the Russian woman who pretended to be a German heiress trying to start her own art space and members on the club. She lived on loans, freeloading, and spending money she didn't have through a little let, light check kiting. <laughs> this week... We're going to talk about another person that made people think he was a man well above his means and that used financial misdeeds to support himself in his life of crime. Because we're in Chicago, obviously we need to talk about one of its more famous citizen criminals, H.H. Holmes. Also not his real name. Oh, certainly not. So, do we want to go through and talk about the things we know or the things we know? I am not sure which one of those knows which. <laughs> I would like you to tell me the version of H.H. H. Holmes that everyone gets. Okay, so the version of H.H. H. Holmes that everyone gets is like this. Herman Webster Mudgett, which mm. is a truly horrible name, <laughs> was born in Gilmanton, New Hampshire on May 16, 1891. He was the third of five children of Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price Mudgett. T-H-E-O-D-A-T-E. Theodate? I mean... I don't have any idea what to do with that. No. I, what was wrong with Theodore? Well... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can train your kids what you want. <laughs> He graduated high school at age 16, took several teaching jobs around his area of New Hampshire. In 1878, which would make him, like, 17, he married Clara Lovering, and they had a son, Robert Lovering Mudgett, in 1880. Herman went to the University of Vermont in Burlington, but he left after one year. Uh, and enrolled in the University of Michigan's Department of Medicine and Surgery, from which he graduated in 1884. Life was hard for him in 1884. His wife left him in Michigan, moved back to Vermont, and she didn't hear much of him after that, mm -hmm. in her own words. He moved to New York for a job, but he was run out of town and made rumors that he was involved in the little boy's disappearance. Yikes. He then moved to Philadelphia and took a job at Norristown State Hospital, which at that time was known as the State Lunatic Hospital at Norristown. So, you know, it's a great place. He only lasted a few days there. Um, he said in his confessions, of which I have read all of them, um, and he said in there, I think he only lasted like five days. It was a really short amount of time. 
And he said when he closes his eyes, he can still see their faces. Yeah. Uh, I, just horrible. I bet it was, uh, oh, uh, yeah. And not only that, but this is a person who had gone through medical school in the, you know, 1860s, 1870s. Right. Like, or 1870s, 1880s, yeah. Seen a lot of people die. Horrible, horrible shit going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I can't, can't even mention so he didn't last very long there, and he was able to get a job at a pharmacy in Philadelphia. And that didn't last long either, because a boy died after taking medicine from that pharmacy that Mudgett had given him. Herman insisted that he had nothing to do with the child's death, but also decided it was a good time to get out of Dodge. He yeah. moved to Chicago, which is a city that he had previously been to and just fell in love with. He loved this city. Yeah. Well, what were they calling it today on the tour? The Paris of the Prairie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 1886, Dr. H.H. H. Holmes stepped off the train in Chicago with his surgical beliefs and started a whole new life. <laughs> with a whole new name. Whole new name. So, the story that you've probably heard is that Holmes happened upon Dr. E.S. Holton's drugstore in the Chicago suburb of Inglewood, which was annexed to become part of Chicago in 1889, but we weren't there yet, where Dr. Holton was upstairs dying of cancer while his wife did her best to keep the store open and take care of him. Mm -hmm. You may have heard that Holmes sweet-talked. Mrs. Holton into letting him take a job there and eventually bought the store after Dr. Holton died and then killed her when she started getting too insistent about getting those payments for the store. That is indeed what I have heard. So the truth is that the E.S. in E.S. Holton stood for Elizabeth Sarah who was not a man no. Much older than Holmes, dying of cancer. No. She was a year older than Holmes. They went to the same medical school. She decided to sell the store, probably because she was pregnant with her second child. Yeah. And her husband, like, worked on the railroad or something. Um, was not a pharmacist, is where I'm going. Right, right. Wasn't going to be running the store if she stopped. Right. Um... It seems like he did pay for the store out of the more than 50 lawsuits that were filed in the city of Chicago alone towards him during his time there. One from the Holtons was not there. Gotcha. Um, So it seems like they they did get paid. And they both lived, both Holtons lived well into the 20th century. That. I realize we're in the 21st century, but, like, not a whole lot into it. So that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. No, they they both outlived him by quite a lot. Yeah. But he did take over that drugstore, however okay. that came to be. Um, I'm going to go with, you know, less interesting, less horrible right. than the original. But a tiny bit more interesting because it was a woman. Right. Like, and that's a... Right. That's a cool story to tell. Right. So the this nobody really knows. Like it's pretty well documented that Holmes loved Chicago. He'd been here on a trip, thought it was right. great, thought there was a lot of opportunity here. Um, and the story was like he stepped off the train and he saw a drugstore, and you know just happened to be this guy who was dying of cancer, and his wife was you know didn't know what to do about everything. It was a great opportunity. It was a great opportunity, and then he got rid of her, too, because I think I think the story was that they'd never had children, um, so there was nobody to... 
Yeah. Nobody to notice that they were gone, and they were quite elderly. Well, these people were young. They were around his age. They were having right. babies. There were at right. least two of them. Right. Um, so now the thought is, and this isn't confirmed, but since they went to the same medical school, they um, it sounds like she left as he was coming in, so they may not have known each other directly, but they probably had some of the same friends. Right. And it was thought that it was very deliberate that maybe somebody he knew from medical school said, hey, Beth wants to sell her store. Right. Why don't you go to Chicago? <laughs> right. And he was like, that's perfect. I love Chicago. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or maybe he was, you know, maybe he put the words out that he was looking for opportunities in Chicago. Yeah. He never had a very good medical practice. He, he taught before he went to medical school. He went back out east. He didn't successfully set up a medical practice, so he actually ended up teaching again. Gotcha. Um, so he never really practiced as a doctor. Right. He, he practiced a bit as a pharmacist, but medicine was never how he made his money. Right. Well, and I mean, I think even if they didn't have some sort of connection that, like, knew she wanted to sell and whatever... Um, I feel like even just going there and being like, hey, oh my gosh, we went to the same medical school. Right. I was a year behind you. Did you have Professor So-and-so? and yeah. like, Or Dr. So-and-so. Um, that probably would have been enough. Right. Like, walk in and she's thinking about it, then... Well, or even if it were actively for sale. How many pharmacists are just wandering around looking for a store to buy? Right. <laughs> you know? That's true. That's true. So, yeah. I mean, it seemed to have worked out on both sides. Right. And the the Holtons lived, it sounds like fairly close by, I don't know if it's still in the neighborhood, but, you know, until well after his death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were fun. Um, we don't actually know much from them. There's a lot of contemporary coverage, a lot of contemporary interviews, which I have been reading all of. Um, and, and the Holtons are never talked to and the thought is that they're uh, maybe they were not approached because their oldest child died around the time of his arrest gotcha um, and that maybe people that just didn't want to involve them bother them yeah, yeah. Um, but, but so we don't know anything from them so that he paid and how it all went down and how they knew each other is, right. is largely speculation because he is the one that started the cancer story yeah yeah it's in his confessions so, buying that pharmacy was just the stepping stone to what he really wanted to do, which was to own his own building with his own business in it. And he bought the lot that was kind of kitty corner from the pharmacy, mm-hmm. which happens to be about the side of the subway that we went for water. <laughs> nice. Oh. Holmes, you could have done better, babe. Well, um... It's probably different. <laughs> the neighborhood is different now. Um... But yeah, so where we were there was was the original site of the pharmacy, more or less. And he bought the lot across the street, a full city block on the corner of 63rd and Wallace. And it was there that he would begin building what we now know as the Murder Castle. The Murder Castle! Murder Castle! So, tell us the traditional story, the well-known story of the Murder Castle. So, the Murder Castle was a building that Holmes built with no architect involved and um, it was supposed to be large and grandiose, multi-use, <laughs> multi-use facility. Um, yes. So it's going to have stores on the ground floor and then um, like offices on the second floor 
and then eventually and and then apartments on the third floor. So offices and like hotel rooms, like kind of stuff on the second floor, yeah. and then uh, longer term accommodations on the third floor. And the traditional story, uh, which starts with Dr. Holton dying of cancer, is that he financed <coughs> part of the building by mortgaging the fixtures in the Holton store, which of course he never paid for and um, right. what have you. And that's, maybe it's true that he mortgaged the fixtures, but they were hits, and that was fine. Um, or no, he didn't pay for it. But anyway, skip all that. So we don't really know how he financed it. He did buy the lot. The traditional story is that he had no architect involved, that he mm-hmm. kind of designed the whole thing himself. There were supposed to be stores on the bottom, um, offices and and short-term stay rooms on the second floor, and then longer-term, like, apartments on the third floor. Okay. And then, of course, there's the basement. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Which is its own separate thing. horrific. Yeah. So he designed this whole thing himself, kind of, as much as you can call what he did design, and he would hire people to build it. He would tell them exactly what he wanted and where he wanted everything. And he'd have them work for a few days, a few weeks, not a terribly long amount of time. And they'd be doing a, you know, fine job. And he would at some point say, you did this all wrong. Get the fuck out. And I'm not paying you for anything you've done. And he did that over and over and over with all of the tradespeople and essentially, like, got the place for free. Right. Um... Now, the story goes that the the building was built that way so that nobody ever knew the full story of the building. And that allowed him to do things like have gas lights installed in every room with a control panel in his office. Mm -hmm. Um, Some rooms had uh, one door, although I read one report that on the second floor, every room had at least two doors. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, although then the math didn't work out, but (laughs) (laughs) the fact is we don't actually know what it looked like. So most of it's, most of this is speculation. Um, but that the, the floors were deliberately built to be really confusing the second and third floors. So there were hallways that went to nowhere. There were doors that opened to nothing. Um, all of the rooms had gas jets that were individually controlled in this panel in Holmes's office. Um, there were greased chutes that went between the floors directly down into the basement. Um, Holmes had a safe built into his third floor office. Right. Which is not very practical because safes are freaking heavy. Yeah. I love the safe. Um, But, you know, he had the safe built into his office on the third floor. Uh, It was built directly into the building. Um, Of course, when the safe builders wanted their money... He said that they were welcome to come take it, but they he'd sue them if they damaged his building, and he'd oh like to build God. it into the building. So, free safe. Um, so that is the story of kind of how the structure was built, and then you have the story about the basement and how you know the grease chutes went down to the basement, and once it got down there, there was a you know, a kiln, but it was really right. a crematorium. So it's built to the dimensions that you would need to, to burn up a body and there are bats of acid. Um, one of his 
uh, flim flam machines was down there, the one that he said would turn water into gas, but it was actually hooked up to the city gas main. <laughs> uh, that was down there. There was a rack. Um, there was pools of lime that I think right. dissolves the body. Yeah. Um, you know, just horrible, torturous place. Right. Um, so what we know about the house is this. It was built. Mm-hmm. It was built badly. <laughs> it was shoddy as fuck. Um, at one point, the city was con- considering condemning it because it was so awful. <laughs> like, it, it was a badly built. And even in the writings of some of his slings uh, later on, um, would write about, like, it was just dingy and, like, all the other buildings in the neighborhood were nice and new and sparkling, and even though this was a fairly new building, it was just kind of, mm. Yeah. Um, there, I've not been able to find corroboration that there was a grease chute. Right. Um, there was a weird stairway that went from the bathroom in Holmes's office in the third floor all the way down to the basement, and part of what made it weird is that there was a trap door in the bathroom, which is how you got down there. That sounds like a plan es- escape. Like, if you're ever cornered right. and the police are like, we're going, okay, let me just use the restroom. Right. Except everybody knew about it. It oh. was a regularly used passage. Oh, then weird. Yeah. Because um, it came up from, like, the back of the kitchen or something from the restaurant. Like, it was handy. Um, was it just lazy placement? I mean, he didn't know what he was doing. Right. You know, the speculation at this point is that he put it in place so that from his private apartments, if he killed somebody, that he could take them downstairs and nobody would know. Okay. Um, and take them and take them right down to the basement. It was a stairway that went to the basement, as far as we know, but everybody knew it was there. Right. Um... There were gas lights in every room on the second floor. Right. They were not hooked up to the gas. Oh. The um, Back around that time, there were a lot of fixtures that were both gas and electric because electricity wasn't always reliable. reliable. So then you yeah. could flip it to the gas. He decided that electricity was reliable, and they were electric. The gas was never turned on. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second floor was apparently a fucking horror show of tiny rooms and too many doors and all of that. And again, the speculation is that uh, it would confuse people, which was was probably part of the plan. Right. Um, and then people couldn't escape. And of course, there's talk about they were soundproofed and they were, right. um, you know, lined with was it a that they were doing for soundproofing. It was something that was super super toxic. Um, And maybe that was, because again, that was pretty common standard for fireproofing and whatnot at the time. But um, they think now that the real reason it was constructed like that is because that's where Holmes would hide all the stolen shit that he had. Right. Right. And there was at least one person who speculated at the modern time or at the contemporary time, that when the police came, because the police knew about this building before the World's Fair, BT Dubs. Right. And they'd been in it, and they'd searched it for all the stolen shit. 
Right. Um, they speculated that he had a couple of his guys, like, moving shit out of the rooms as they were moving through it and then going back behind back, right. and putting it back. Which just sounds like a, a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not real. Yeah. There was a, also, they called it the half floor. There was something between the first and the second floor mm-hmm. um, that was, like, a 10 by 10 space, so a fairly decent-sized room. Yeah. That he also used to store stolen goods in, and sometimes the kitchen boys would sleep up there. But of course, once that was discovered, that was where all the bodies were hidden. And blah, 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 right. Blah. Um, what else can I just story about the house? <laughs> oh, so it wasn't originally three stories. It was originally originally two stories. The third story was added three years later. Okay. Um, there is a story that when uh, Holmes was getting ready to get out of Chicago that he set the building on fire for the insurance money and that's right. probably true. The building did burn pretty right. severely but it did not burn to the ground. Um, the first floor was fine and the shops yeah. continued to, to operate. Uh-huh. The second and the third floors were pretty fucked up but right. they were eventually rebuilt and that building did not come down until the late 1930s. And you were almost born then. It was almost born then. But the picture, so picture in your mind the murder, ca- murder castle. Yeah. The picture that you're picturing yeah. was taken in the 30s, but it's always cropped so that you can't see the 1930s car that's parked in front of the building. Oh. I mean, okay. And I assume that when they rebuilt the upper stories, they did a better job than I the first so. Yeah. So, Holmes was, I mean, Holmes was a criminal. Yeah. He was a murderer. He was a criminal. He was a con artist. Right. He wasn't a good guy. Right. He definitely didn't murder as many people as we think he did. Which, I mean, I feel is fair because right. he's sort of like a a movie monster, right? Like, he de- he's unreal when you right. read, like, Devil in the White City or, you know, any of those. He's cartoon character. He is a cartoon character. Um, but he was really mostly a thief and a shithead. Right. Um, he was very smooth. You know, they right. would talk about how collectors would come and they'd be best friends at the end of it. Um, he he did seem to be a reasonable businessman, although he was noted as being pretty stupid in medical school. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, they kind of described him as just like dull and uninteresting and kind of damn, which is not the impression that anybody else got later. Right. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah, well, because if he's going to be a great story, he's this smooth... If you're dull and dim and you get people, yeah. then that's bad. Well, right, but no, I think the the contemporary coverage pretty well establishes he was clever, and yeah. he was very manipulative and skilled at getting his way. Right. Um, but he stole a lot of shit and sold it. Yeah. That was kind of his main line. So all of this rabbit's worn of rooms and that, that story and a half um, was really meant to conceal stolen goods, not right. to murder people. Right. So, we can pretty much confirm that he murdered nine people. Which, I'm going to just go ahead and point out, is a shit ton of people. It is a shit ton of people. Although, um, I haven't gotten all the way through it yet, but I'm reading another book. So, let's go back for a second and why all of this shit we know is wrong. 
um, a couple of different people, um, and I've used, I've read so much over the last couple of weeks about this guy. I started out with the classics, Devil in the White City, Depraved by Harold Schechter. Um, I reread both of those. I did a bunch of searching. And then I found a couple of new books, one of them being, under my computer here, H.H. Holmes, A True History of the White City Devil. And the reason I bought it and I started reading it is because I read about the book and it talked about how everything we know about H.H. Holmes is wrong because a lot of what we know, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, about the supposed ways of killing the the victims and, and how the, the building was built for it was based on things that incompetent cops told to sensationalist newspapers and then right. was taken as gospel even when the next day they wouldn't or they would come back and say that they were wrong. Right. And then it was inflamed by pulp novels. Yes. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because both Depraved and Devil in the White City are great books. With a lot of accurate research about certain things. Yeah, not really. Well, the architecture. Yeah, yeah, the architecture. I mean, I have no way to discredit that because I don't know anything. But, um, yeah, that's probably all fine. But they never went back to the contemporary primary sources. Mm -hmm. Um, They bought into... Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he probably killed nine people. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have, he killed Julia Connor, who was a mistress. She and her husband were running the jewelry store at the castle. Gotcha. And started sleeping together, and the story is that he uh, either accidentally killed her during an abortion that he was giving her because she was getting demandy about him marrying her, and he right. was already married to a couple of other bronze. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, by the way, there are direct descendants of H.H. H. Holmes. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, so... So he may have either purposely or accidentally murdered her. Right. We can't really prove. There's no proof that she was murdered. But once he was arrested for the Peitzel murders Mm -hmm. and they went and investigated the castle, they did find the bones of what is probably her daughter, Pearl. (sighs) Yeah. Um, So they both disappeared around Christmas of that year, uh, 1891. They were never seen again. Oh, so after Julia was Emmeline Sagrand, she was a stenographer um, at the Keeley Institute. Have you ever heard of that? I feel like I've heard of it. I don't know about it. So the Keeley Institute was a alcohol addiction recovery center, as we might say today. Uh-huh. Uh, except it was absolute horseshit. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, Sawbones actually did a really good inter- episode on the Keeley Cure. God, I can't talk today. 
Um, so you should check that out. Yeah. But yeah, he said it was like the gold cure, and he said gold was mixed in, but it was probably like colored water with flavors and shit. Right. Yeah. Um, so Holmes had sent what we generally believe to be his right-hand man, Ben Peitzel, yeah. to the Keeley Institute to get off the booze, because he had a bit of a problem with that. Right. So that, that all does seem to be true. Um, so he sent Ben to the Keeley Institute to get him off the, the booze, and Ben came back and was talking about this stenographer that was really pretty. Right. And Holmes wrote to her and offered her double her salary to come work for him, so she did, and of right. course they became involved, and then he killed her. Nice. Yep. Um, He's charming. Well, super charming. So the story is that he killed her and that she, um, so he killed her, but beforehand he had had her write out a bunch of envelopes to like her family and friends. Yeah. And once she was gone, he put together a marriage announcement announcing that she had run off and married one of his aliases. And then when her family came to ask, like, where did she go? Right. And he said, I don't know. She and the new hubby moved to Europe. Right. Which, back in that day, happened. (laughs) Right. Right. And it wasn't like you could call them. Right. Um, so then... He met a woman named Minnie Williams. Well, hold on. Can I can I clarify something about the previous? Yeah. Were was this version that you were telling us just now the real one or like the popular belief? So um, she did work for the Keeley Institute. Mm-hmm. She did end up with Holmes. That all seems to be true. Mm-hmm. She did disappear. Okay. So. I'm going to vote for true. I'm going to vote for true. Um, It could be that she just ran off. Probably not. Um, But there was never really any evidence other than he said he did it. But he said he killed people that were still alive. So he's not a super reliable witness. (laughs) Beautifully written shit, though. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I did read all of it. Um, So the the next one is Minnie Williams. Yes. We don't know how they met. Um, there's a lot of speculation. There's some talk that they met in Chicago after she had come here for something. There is talk that she had uh, been in Boston when he was there and they'd met at a party. Mm-hmm. So it, um, there was talk that like she was looking for a job or he went to an employment agency looking for somebody. Right. But she was a pretty interesting character. And the the story that you generally hear is that she was kind of a dim-witted actress that was really pretty, mm-hmm. but kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. And she had been raised by an uncle because her parents died when she was little. And the uncle had been wealthy and he had recently died and left her a piece of land in Texas. Right. And that Holmes knew about that and, right. and wanted to get with her land. <laughs> a depressing clarification yes um, in truth well I, I don't know in truth in contemporary accounts some people just said like she was a nice little lady 
And some people said Holmes was afraid of her. Really? Yeah. And she probably wasn't dumb. She was an actress, yes, but she was also an elocution teacher. She was highly educated. Right. Um, you know, she may have been naive, but I don't think she was dumb. Right. Uh, so she starts working for home for Holmes. They get together. She decides that she's going to marry him mm-hmm. and wants her sister to meet him. Right. And her sister is under her sister lives in Texas. She is skeptical of this whole situation. Sure. And Minnie tells Harry that <laughs> that her sister is skeptical and he says, "Tell you what, you tell her that during her summer break, she's a school teacher, right. pack all of her shit up, um, right. bring what she wants to Chicago, leave what she wants to Texas, cause that's apparently what we did. She can come stay with us. We'll go to the World's Fair. We'll spend some time together. Right. We'll be a family. She'll she'll see that this is great. She'll see that this is great. Her mind will be at ease. And then if she wants to stay with us, cool. She wants to go back to Texas, whatever. Right. So even in the popular culture, there are a couple of different stories. Um, Nanny is her sister. Yeah. Uh, her real name is Anna. But she went by Nanny. Um, Nanny is her sister. She comes up to Chicago, and one of the stories is that he immediately took her to the murder hotel, killed her, and that was it. Yeah. Devil in the White City uh, portrays it as she came up. She didn't see the building for a while uh, because Holmes had rented himself and Minnie an apartment a little ways right. away. Um, they went to the fair a whole bunch. They had a good time. At the right. end, she was calling him, or not even at the end, you know, a little while in, she was calling him Brother Harry. And they were making these plans. They were going to go take a nice vacation in Maine, and then they were going to, I think, go to New York, and then they were going to go to Europe. Right. And he thought that Nanny had some inherent talent as an artist, and he wanted to set her up on an arts education in Europe. Right. We can't even prove that he went fair. <laughs> Right. So, again, in the popular fiction, there are a couple of stories about how Nanny died. Mm-hmm. Um, one story that was really only repeated in one source is that she and Minnie got into an argument in the apartment, and Minnie killed her with something, like picked up a object and like beat her to death. And then that Holmes, like, took her back to the castle and dissected her body and then called his bone guy to come articulate the skeleton. Right. Um, I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, right. maybe. I don't know. Um, but the, the more commonly known story is that at some point during this trip, after they planned their great big vacation to Maine and beyond, that Holmes and Nanny were at the building by themselves, relatively speaking. Right. And Minnie was in the apartment resting. He took her on the tour. They ended up in his office with the vault. Right. So when you think vault, what do you think? Um, I, well, like the like a bank heist vault. Right, like a great big safe type thing. Yeah. So that's what I always thought, too, is that he'd had it brought in. He'd built it into the floor. Right. Um, and then you hear it's the like story a small of the predator. Room. Right. So he did have a giant safe like that, but it was on the first floor. 
And it, he did build it into the building. Like, the story about them wanting to come and repro it and him threatening them, like, yes. that's, tr- that's probably true, but it was the one on the first floor. Because okay. who puts that shit on the third floor of a shitty building? Right, it's going <laughs> to fall through. It's going to fall right through because the building is garbage. That seems like a minor detail. Right. So the the safe or the vault or whatever you want to call it was actually just a small windowless room right. that was built. And then a larger room was built around it. And then the space in between was filled with... I don't remember what they like sand or asbestos or maybe combination. I don't remember which, but right. like shit to deaden the sound. Oh, um, and then a strong door, but not like the safe door with the combination and all of that. Right, just a strong door. That's not okay. Yeah. So the popular story goes that one of those gas vents went into that vault, and yeah. that's how she died. Um, and it does not seem like there was gas. Well, I mean, there just wasn't gas. Um. So that probably wasn't it. Based on some of the chemicals that were found in the house later, they think that he mixed up a bowl of chemicals that would have overpowered her um, and killed her from inhaling it. Okay. I, I mean, that's... Okay. The other story that may be true, um, you always hear about the footprint. Yeah. That might be true. <gasps> and it was it was Nanny Williams. Because it's just a regular door. It could have been... Well, so what they think, and I think what they thought at the time, what they said was that there was some kind of acid, like, on the floor. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it would have been acid, but some sort of corrosive or something... Right. Um, to make the chemical reaction faster with whatever you put in there. Gotcha. And then it was the acid that was burned into the door. Right. And and maybe that's it, if it was some kind of corrosive. Yeah. So that might be true, but I'm not, not 100% on that. So then he... So Nanny's dad, he's already had Minnie transfer the deed to the property in Texas over to him. And so he gets rid of her, too. Mm-hmm. Probably. Um, there was a lot of talk that Minnie Williams never died. I mean, not never. Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> that Minnie Williams is still alive. Minnie Williams still alive. And I don't know what to think about this. And I haven't gotten to this part in this new book that I've read. Um, but... From the contemporary coverage and from Holmes's confessions, he kept saying that Minnie Williams was alive. Right. And, and if he's making up people that he's killed, then he's probably not going to underplay right. a murder and he it did. It seems do. like he introduced other women as Minnie Williams so that other people would say, no, she was still alive. I met her. Oh. Um,. It, there was a little talk that maybe she was in on everything. Um, so I'll be interested to see, because some of the contemporary coverage does say that they met her. Yeah. Um, and then there were a couple of people that said that he was afraid of her. And maybe that's just sensationalizing after the fact or right. rumors from around the neighborhood. 
but there is some there are some factions that think that Minnie Williams was not killed by Holmes mm-hmm. so you know interesting yeah um, the other thing that is interesting, um, I haven't talked about Benjamin Peitzel very much here, but the, again, the, the popular fiction is that Benjamin Peitzel was his right-hand man. He was the one that, you know, did kind of all the dirty work. He was a drunk uh, that was always out of money. He mm-hmm. and his wife and their far too many children. It was five. <laughs> Which, I mean, as a mom of three, I'm going to say it's far too many children. Right. But mom of one. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and that he was kind of a shiftless, ne'er-do-well drunkard. Right. That seems to be true. <laughs> um, what does not seem to be true is that he was Holmes's right-hand man. Because a man named Quinlan was. And Quinlan uh, outlived all of this and, in fact, uh, did some interviews afterwards that were pretty interesting. interesting. So he was the one that did a lot of the work around the castle, that uh, orchestrated some of the stolen shit, that sort of thing. Right. Heitzel is much more minor than we think he was. He was just someone that worked I mean, he was one of the inner circle. He definitely worked there, um, you know... Holmes took an interest in him and his family, obviously, because right. he picked them out for, yeah. for some criminal enterprise. Um, but he was not as integral to the overall Holmes story right. as we as think it, he was. I gotcha. So it's almost like the character in, like, maybe Man in the, Man in the White. Devil, Devil in, in the White, White City. City. <laughs> Man in the... What time is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is what I think he embellished them. Yeah, or like combined them. Maybe, yeah. Um, But it does seem like he'd been around for a while. He was the one that told him about Emily and Sagrand. Like that all that all seems to check out so far. So um, the Peitzels were they were always a family that had been in rough shape. They'd moved around a lot. Um, ben wasn't good at keeping a job, what with the drinking and whatnot. Right. Um, they they had some kids. They had one child who died when she was very little. Mm. And um, by the time this all started, they had a, a new baby. So they had uh, five children, or five living children at the time, three girls and two boys. Okay. So, Peitzel, or I'm sorry, Holmes had come up with a life insurance scheme, which is your standard uh, take out a big life insurance policy. Right. We, on you, we don't kill you because I wouldn't do that because you're my friend. Right. But we, we find we somebody get a body that yeah. looks like you. We fuck it up so that nobody can tell it's not you for sure. We collect life insurance money. Yes. I I like that the we get a body is just like no big deal. The rest of it, okay, whatever. But (laughs) we get a body. Again, the popular story is that he was a pretty accomplished grave robber. Yeah. And the true story might be that he was a pretty accomplished grave robber. Um, And at the very least, he he just had access to bodies, especially in medical school, especially if he knew other people in medical school that weren't terribly scrupulous. Yeah. Um, you know, getting a hand on a body probably wasn't that hard. Right. There is talk that he had done it before, 
Um, apparently he came up with this scheme in college or med school and it was something that he would talk to one of his buddies about. Right. There is some talk that that buddy was the first victim of this, that Holmes took out life insurance and killed him. Seems like he might have just died. Uh, he was a murderer or anything. He just died. Interesting. I mean, people just died. Just died. <laughs> yeah. um, but Holmes for sure did it the one time, and that was for Benjamin Peitzel. Mm-hmm. So he had convinced Ben that it would be a good idea if Ben took out some life insurance. He took out $40,000, which was a ridiculous amount of money back in the 1890s, that he would then move to Philadelphia, open a patent office, because that seemed like something he was qualified to do. Right. (laughs) The, The fam would move out west a little bit. Benjamin would set up shop, get people to know him a little bit, and then he would die. Right. With air quotes. Right. Holmes would find a body. They'd put the body out. Ben would go out west to live with the fam under a different name. Everybody gets money. Right. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. (laughs) Everything is cool when you're part of the team. Um, so, so, he, so he agreed to this. He talked to his wife, Carrie. Um, she was not a fan of this plan. I mean, <laughs> it requires you to move and change your identity. And I, I think she was fine with that part because they moved on the regular. Um, yeah. And, the, you know, the... She just felt it was bad, and it sounds like she didn't really trust Holmes a whole lot. I mean, that seems good. (laughs) Yes, he should have listened to her. Um, Instead, he went to Philadelphia, he opened a patent business, he, uh, you know, was in the neighborhood for a little while, and then Holmes came in one day and killed him. Now... Back at this time, forensics and just science in general was not very good. (laughs) (laughs) It was not really mature. Yeah, it was not at all mature. So there were a couple of things that would make this scheme troublesome now. Um, So one thing is, if I have to get my hands on a body... Yeah... I need to make sure that I kill the person or whatever in within right within a range of time so it looks like the story I'm telling. Right. And in the manner that I'm telling. And in the manner that I'm telling. But back then I couldn't <laughs> oh, no. I as a professional couldn't really tell how long somebody had been dead. Right. They started to smell maybe more than a day. Right. Um, you know, if you were bones, more than a week. Months, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't have a real good way to tell how long you'd been dead. Right. I didn't have a very good way to tell what killed you, unless it was super obvious, like, you didn't have a head anymore. Right, right. Um, I couldn't necessarily tell whether that head came off before or after you were dead anyway. Right. Um, 
if you were poisoned, there's that. no hope. <laughs> right. Um, and I also can't tell that it's you that's dead. Right. Somebody might say it looks kind of like you, and that's and that's, that's what we as good with. as it comes. Yeah. So Holmes knew all of this, being we'll call him a medical professional. I mean, you know, he got the training for it. What? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So he knew all of this. So he knew that he could fake anybody that was going to look at the body. Yeah. But knowing all of that and being able to explain all that, he could explain to Peitzel's family that even though this looks like your dad, it's totes not. It's a body I got from someone else. Oh, man. Yeah. So he kills Peitzel, um, probably knocked him out with chloroform, and then set him on fire, uh, did a bad job, because they figured out pretty quick that that's not how it went down. Um, he then tried to collect the insurance payout, and that's actually what was his downfall, because it all looked really suspicious. Right. Um, they noticed that there were bottles of chemicals in the room. They noticed that the the way he was burned wasn't consistent with um, the way that somebody would accidentally set themselves on fire. Right. Because um, he was well established in the neighborhood as a drunk. Right. Um, you know, he everybody knew he was drinking, and what Holmes had tried to do was make it look like he'd like dropped his match right on himself. Yeah. Um, and that didn't all work really well. And he was in a weird position. And Holmes had positioned him near the window to help speed up the decomposition. Or, de- yeah, decomp. Um, so that it would be harder, even yeah. more hard to tell when he died. So um, the insurance company thought it all seemed funny. And they sent their investigator out to look into all of this, which is eventually how Holmes was caught. Right. So he... Um, he then went to Mrs. Peitzel and said, all right, so I've got the dummy body. Um, Ben's hiding out for a while. Right. We need to identify the body. Right. But I don't want you to do it because you know what's going on, and I'm afraid you're not, you're not going to convince anybody. Right. We need someone who doesn't know him right. as well. Right. Um, <laughs> so we need somebody who doesn't know, but somebody who would be familiar enough to be able to identify the body. You're not the best person to do it. Also, your baby's sick, so you should probably stay home with his ass. Right. Um, so why don't you let me take um, your daughter, Alice? Um, Alice was the second oldest daughter. Um, the reasoning was that the oldest daughter would stay home and help with the sick baby. baby. Yeah. And then Alice would identify the body. And while he's taking her on a trip, why not take the other couple of kids to get them out of the way for a while while the baby's sick? They were all going to have a nice road trip. Right. So they get to... um, They go to Philadelphia. Alice identifies the body because it's her dad. Yeah. And apparently he had a really prominent, like, mole on his neck. Uh-huh. To the point that, um, like, he couldn't wear shirts with collars because it rubbed. Oh, wow. 
And so when Alice saw that, she was like, yep, that's my dad. And, like, reacted like you would. Right, when your dad. When your dad is dead. And um, Holmes, apparently, during the inquest, um, you know, the the people who run an inquest were like, this isn't Ben Heitzel. Like, you got a body and, and put it in here. We're, we're on to you. And he's right. like, no, no, no. Look, he's got this mole on his neck. Cut it off. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a real mole. Check this out. Um, so Alice freaks the fuck out. The body is identified. He takes her back to the ho- hotel. And he's like, hey, not your dad. Right. By the way. By the way. The trick we played this, on you. Right. That was not your dad. Your dad's fine. Right. We're going to go get him. Right. We're going to get you all back together. Everything's going to be fucking awesome at the Pipeful House. Right. And instead, he took them on this insane road trip. Yes. Train trip, I guess, really. Yeah. All over. Uh, Occasionally the- murdering them. <laughs> Well, yeah, so he he did end up murdering all of them. Uh, He murdered George, I'm sorry, Howard, where I got George. He he first murdered Howard, and then he murdered Alice and Nellie. Um, He took them all on an insane road trip. He also took Mrs. Peitzel around with him, and sometimes his current wife, the air quotes Georgiana and he would sometimes have all three of them within a few blocks of each other at three different hotels running around it's like a goddamn sitcom yeah Um, that is mostly true Um, (gasps) most of that is true Uh because it is documented by the detective that was was assigned to follow him so all of that is very well documented and in a rare twist for this and every other true crime podcast, Holmes was caught by amazing police work. Yes. This guy or guy did his fucking legwork. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Like he would, he was onto all the aliases. He started to know the kinds of hotels that he would stay at. Nice. So he would go to the next city, which was hard to track because although the children were writing to their mother, Holmes was not mailing the letters. Right. But they'd go on eyewitness accounts of a, a very well-dressed man with three bedraggled children um, and right. then two children uh, under this name that we know he's used before. So Geyer would go to the town that he thought Holmes was in or that Holmes had been to, and he would just canvas it. He would knock on every door. He would look at every register. He got to know his handwriting. He very much like what I had read and heard. Yeah, very much tracked his ass down. Um, So they did eventually catch up with him, um, and that uh, once he was found and the bodies of the children were found, um, they started storming the castle. Mm -hmm. And the... The coverage and even some of the contemporary coverage talks about how when the police went in to look through the castle, they spent a lot of time in the basement, of course, because, you know, basements. Right. And every day they'd come up with some new theory. So, but so like one day they went down the basement like, we found these tanks of acid. That must be how we got rid of the bodies. Right. And then the next day they'd be like, so we were wrong about that. But we found the piles of lime, and that's how we got rid of the bodies. Like, oh, 
Yeah, that's probably not it. But we found this furnace, and that's how we got rid of the bodies. Oh, it's never turned on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's where we get a lot of these stories. Yeah. Right. They came out and they're like, this is how it happened. And nobody ever knows that it was wrong. So apparently at one point, neighborhood boys got a kite and put a sign on it that said, this was the kite of H.H. H. Holmes, and it's how he got rid of the bodies. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like, it got fucking bad. Right. <laughs> um, so he was caught. He went to jail in Philadelphia. He was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. Um, by then, of course, it was obvious that he had also murdered the Peitzel children. Um, he wrote at least three confessions. Right. He sold exclusive rights to his story to three different newspapers. <laughs> and two of them got slightly different versions from each other. I don't think the third one got anything at all, but I'd have to uh, go back and look at that for sure. Right. He uh, maybe never wrote, I was born as a devil in me. Um, I have read his confessions. They're fucking crazy. Like, yeah. even for somebody who's trying to sound like he's got it together, they're awful. Uh, he eventually confessed to murdering 27 people. Uh, some of them were still alive, so that was definitely not true. Um... Right now, the murder count is considered to be nine by most people. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to see as research continues if that drops. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, I forgot the other part. Uh, there was also some talk at the the time that he got rid of bodies, like he would dissect them, and yeah, then he would give them to an articulator. Right. That's the correct career term. But a guy that would take them and turn them into skeletons for, like, medical schools and what have you. And um, the guy that he cited, or the the guy that's named is actually the son of the guy that Holmes actually knew. Right. And he was not an articulator. He was kind of a 'er ne'er-do-well whose own family at the time said, he's just a drunk. Please don't believe anything he says. Oh, wow. Um, also, the medical school that the skeletons were purported to be sold to could prove because they kept records that they had not bought any skeletons during that time period. Was it absolutely okay to buy skeletons from a random person, or would they have... I'm just trying to save my version of the story. Ever... Uh, <laughs> so the, the story was... Uh, the popular story is that the the guy, and I can't think of what his name is right now, um, was the articulator for the medical school. Like, he would sometimes take the bodies and right and put together, like, models and stuff. Right. And that Holmes just paid him as a side gig. Right. But, yeah, no, that's how they got them. But was that how they got them because they were desperate for skeletons as they were trying to make advances in medicine, or is it that's how they got them because it was totally acceptable practice that everyone was cool with. It seems like it was acceptable. Gotcha. Um, I don't think they were hard up for skeletons. Um, they were hard up for cadavers. 
Right. But skeletons don't seem to be in demand. And they paid for the skeletons when they bought them. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you don't need to be licensed or anything. You just have to be decent at it. Sure. I just feel like someone should be asking where the bodies came from. But I, People just didn't ask that at the time. You know, yeah. you had your in-house resurrection man because... You know, they made a point that at the time that Holmes went to medical school in Michigan, Michigan had said, like, we don't want this resurrection stuff going on. That's, you know, distasteful to us. Yeah. We will supply the bodies to the medical school. Like, we will get them and obtain them and we'll, we'll distribute them out to you. But they could never meet the demand. Right. And other states did the same thing. And it was kind of the same thing, that they couldn't meet the demand with bodies that they had the right to donate. So I guess right. it was mostly like criminals. Right. Um, so there are always resurrectionists. Yeah. And Holmes might have been one of them. He might not have. Um, honestly, it could go either way, not only with him, but with most medical students of the era. Yeah. That yeah. was just what you had to do. Yeah. Ugh. Right. So. Um, so he was convicted. Yeah. He wrote some articles. He wrote a bunch of letters. Um, he, yeah. He, you know, claimed he was possessed by Satan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like everybody gets there at some point. But none of it worked. On May 7th, 1896, he was hanged. Uh, there is usually a story that he swung for 20 minutes before he died. Ugh. That was pretty common. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, God, that's awful. Yeah, there is... Uh, one of the sources I read made uh, made some jabber. It was responding to jabber. It's like, well, if he'd been hung in Chicago instead of Philadelphia, like, we'd have done the job right. Right. And the retort was like, no, nope, that's what it takes in Chicago, too. <laughs> Everybody's bad at it. So, so, um, so there, there's one postscript, and I, I don't yet know if this is true, but I believe it is. Um, Quinlan, who was the caretaker, he uh, killed himself on March seventh, nineteen fourteen, and his body was found with a note that just said, "I couldn't sleep." Oh my God. That's the creepiest part of the whole story. Yeah. Um, the building did, that uh, was on fire, definitely once, or probably once by homes. Right. Um, just seemed to catch fire on the regular. I think there were five or six fires in the building. I mean, it doesn't sound like it was particularly safe. Oh, <laughs> it didn't no. didn't follow the fire code. Definitely not, but the building did remain in use until it was torn down in 1938, at which time the land was bought by... The U.S. Postal Service. And it is now the site of the Englewood Post Office in Chicago, Illinois. Which we got to see. We totally did. So, guys, I was a little concerned that Diana was going <laughs> to end up in the wrong place on this week's episode. She had all these plans to bribe people. Not bribe. <laughs> so what I had heard was that if you go to the Englewood Post Office and you are nice to them, they will let you see the basement. 
um, because uh, where the Inglewood Post Office sits is not exactly on the same plot of land, but it overlaps where the castle was. Right. And um, it is believed that part of the basement is part of the basement of the castle, and there's a tunnel that nobody really knows what the situation is there. Um, And... I had heard that if you're nice and I was going to be nice with some Starbucks gift cards <laughs> that that they would let you in and, and let you and walk you through the basement. Right. Um, so it turns out that that was not particularly true because apparently they used to run tours every Saturday right. down to the basement but they don't do it anymore because uh, their regulation is that Somebody from the central post office has to come down and run the tour, and that it's not particularly safe down there. Yeah. Um, so they no longer do it. Yeah. 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 So so we stood outside over where we think the basement may have been and took pictures we, of our feet. We know that it was. I'll, <laughs> I'll dig it up for you. Um, because the <laughs> the nope. basement? No, no, no. That was just a totally unintentional pun. Um, the the author of the book or one of the books that I'm reading right now which is looking at the contemporary coverage uh, he went through all the newspaper archives because he's local to Chicago right um, he superimposed the picture of the building um, of Holmes's time and the post office and there is overlap of the buildings right so where we were standing is where that overlap is right um, at 63rd and Wallace in Inglewood. And so I think that we did actually post some pictures on Instagram. I don't think we did. No? No, I didn't post any of mine. I was waiting. I don't know. I don't think I posted. I know I sent them to my husband. Yeah. Um, but for everybody else. <laughs> I sent them to my family and they did not respond. Yeah. <laughs> Mine, meanwhile, went, oh, are you standing over the spot where the castle was? And I was like, oh. Married forever. So, <laughs> <sighs> oh. you know, you've been talking about how you're going to ruin Holmes for a couple of days in a very depressed way, and for I'm a while we were not friends. Sad about it. But you know what? I that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Like, it sort of feels like Holmes is sort of Jack the Ripper level, like. We're gonna it, like it's an exaggeration. Like it's a right. it's a story based in fact that obviously got exaggerated. Right, and that seems to be very true. Like I think the most bummer. <laughs> it's not the most bummer part. The best part is <laughs> that he probably didn't just kill a shit ton of people in a murder castle and have someone take them apart and sell them to medical colleges. Yeah, that you know is a big part of the story. Yeah, and it that does, made him more of an evil. Right, and de- depending on which theory you buy, um, it is thought that he may have killed um, both Julia Connor and Emily Instagrand during an abortion. Right, that they'd gotten pregnant by him, and he wasn't so much interested in that. And it right. may have been accidental, right. or it may not have, because when it comes down to it, he was not a very good doctor. Right. <laughs> um, so, one or either of them certainly could have been accidental. Sure. Um, 
he didn't necessarily, it doesn't seem like he killed for pleasure. He didn't, right. even in his confessions, he never talked about pleasure. It was always about money. Yeah. Um, or so to get then, somebody out of the way. Does that qualify you as a serial killer? He still killed nine people, so yeah. You don't have to kill for the sake of killing? No, because look yes. at, like, Black Widows. Oh, that's true. They're opportunists. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, no, I think he... I would be willing to give him one or two as an accident. Yeah. You know, the the They're pencil kids and, and Ben definitely certainly some, weren't. Right, intentional. Yeah. Um, Nanny, if not many. Right. But it was mostly for money. Mm-hmm. Or to get somebody else out of the way. Right. But the person that knew the most, Quinlan, he didn't touch. Right. Um, so I don't know. It makes him less of a monster. Right. And it makes him less of a mastermind, I almost think. Yeah. I, I mean, it does sound like, though, I mean, there are some parts of the story that were missing from kind of that creative nonfiction yeah. stuff. Like the moving all of the stolen goods around right. behind the backs of the police. Like, that's that's pretty clever. That's pretty great. And he did seem to never really do anything honest in his life and yet end up successfully with all of the things. Right. And then eventually got caught for murder. Like, he didn't get caught for the other... They didn't no. catch him for the stolen goods. They didn't catch him for the, you know... Well, they caught him plenty... Um, he was sued fucking everywhere. Yeah. Um, there were, he, he's less of a monster, he's less of a mastermind. It doesn't even right. seem like the hotel was actually even open. Like, it wasn't really ever meant to be a hotel. Right. Um, so there weren't, you know, dozens of young women staying there and, and right. he was murdering them. Like, I'm, I'm disappointed I don't want to say I'm disappointed on him. I'm disappointed that nobody ever took the time to really look into it. That they built yeah. on the pulp in the the good story, and it is a good story. Right. This is a less good story. Right. Um. I don't know. It humanizes him, and I don't know that I like that. Um. Yeah. I think it it just turns him into, like, more of a perfect evil villain. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not just... I don't know. It's not like true crime anymore. Yeah. He gets to be this sort of next-level psychopath that's brilliant and devious and, you know. Right, but I don't think that anymore. No. No. Um, oh, and we were talking about getting caught. He got caught all the time. Yeah. He was sued constantly. Everybody knew he was a goddamn crook. Right. Um, so, you know, again, I don't know. I still have to think about it. I still haven't fully formed my opinions on yeah. <laughs> on how I feel about it. But I was really, like, like I said to you the other night, it should have stopped Double in the White City. Yeah. I should not have kept reading on. I mean, 
Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. He's less interesting. He's less devious. He's less of a big story. But that also means he hurt fewer people mm-hmm. and he did less damage. So that's a yeah. good thing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, he he was bad. I, I would bump him up to real bad. Yeah. I mean, he did murder some people. He, he did murder some people. Quite a few people. A reasonable, not right. reasonable number. An a unreasonable amount of people. Yes. Um, and he did swindle and con a ton of people. Oh, yeah. And he did build a crazy building where he maybe killed some people. Mm-hmm. And he did come up with horrible schemes to murder people. And he did murder children and... Like, he's a pretty bad guy. Oh, yeah. He's definitely a bad guy. But I don't think he's the evil genius we thought he was. Right. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So, I just want to say, by way of disclaimer, that when I say favorite serial killer, I mean the one that I find the most outrageous or (laughs) interesting story or amazing capture or whatever. And so I'm going to have to pick a new favorite serial killer. Yeah. Probably going to be a cannibal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That seems like you. Yeah. You're not going to go all Dahmer, are you? No. I don't know. It's too mainstream. <laughs> you need to be all hipster about it. I need to be all hipster about it. I can't I can't do that. I'm technically a millennial. There are other things. Yes. Like calling your people. Call your people. We gave away a lot of keychains and buttons that said call your people and stickers. Yes. You guys better call your people. Yes. And then you should tell us about it and then we'll send you stickers. <laughs> right. <laughs> And don't end up on next week's episode.